1: He announced to us, you know, that now Papa has a new wife, so you have a mother, a new mother. And I was delighted, to tell you the truth, because a lot of people that would meet us, they'd say, you know, yeah, Erika has lost her mother. And when I heard that, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I've been very careless. How could I lose my mother? Can you imagine? I lost mother.
0: Welcome to Real Faith. Conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through. Helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's Real People, Real Life and
2: Real Faith with Eric Scatterbo. Well, today we have part three of our conversation with Erica Grace. She's been sharing with us her father's incredible story of going from being one of Mussolini's bodyguards during World War II to then becoming a pastor and evangelist in South America where he was exiled after the war. Now today, Erica will transition from her father's life journey to her own story. When we ended last time, Erica was a little girl and her mother had just been killed in a horrific car accident. Also, her father sustained severe injuries, and it was thought that he would receive better medical attention in Italy rather than to remain in South America. So the whole family relocated to Italy. Now here's more of Erica Grace sharing her story from her home on the east side of Melbourne.
1: So my grandparents picked us up. These were the parents of my mother, and they picked us up and took us to northern Italy to live with them. They were very loving grandparents, really very, very... Um uh, my grandmother especially was a doting grandmother, mm. very ladylike, but just so full of warmth and mm. uh, hugs and kisses. And so it was delightful to be with her. And of course, we had to immediately switch our language to Italian.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, uh, what <laughs> language did you grow up speaking? Spanish?
1: <laughs> well, we spoke Italian at home. Oh, okay. And so because the two languages have similar intonations. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that hard, so...
2: So you went back and forth between Italian and Spanish?
1: At home, yes. Yeah. But now with my grandparents and where we were going to live in Sondrio in Italy, uh, we just spoke Italian.
2: Mm-hmm. And your father was recovering, I'm assuming, so he's and my gone. my father
1: stayed in Rome. They put him in a hospital, mm-hmm. and they were doing all kinds of medical operations and treatments and stuff, and they said, you know, Mr. Frigoli you'll never walk again and he he prayed to God because I think that would be the worst life sentence my father could ever have mm-hmm. um, he's full of energy he's full of energy so he said oh Lord if you you saved me and if you heal me I will serve you the rest of my life and um, within six months it was you know everybody seemed to think it was a miracle which we, it was, but I didn't know that this was a miracle. But, mm. uh, you know, he was walking. Oh, wow. So then he came back to Sondrio to see us, and there he is. He's got a stick, but he's, he's walking, and he's, um, everybody to say, wow, this is miraculous.
2: This. Yeah. How much later was this?
1: I'm not too sure, probably a year.
2: Oh, okay. So you hadn't seen your father for a whole year? No. Wow.
1: It was a long, long time. Yeah. But he said to my grandparents, you know, I made a vow if God would heal me, that I would serve him the rest of my life. And he said, the Lord has healed me, and I've got to go back. I've got to go back and serve God. So my grandparents said, well, we'll take care of the kids. And um, he went back to Bolivia, and this is where his ministry really started taking off nationally. People wanted to hear his story. They wanted to hear him preaching. Mm. He was very... um, instrumental in starting coordination between countries and Christian groups. And he set up a lot of the infrastructure for future organizations. It was a very productive time of his life, very Mm -hmm. visionary.
2: And meanwhile, for you, you're back in Italy?
1: We're going to school. We're having a normal life. We're having lots of friends. And also my, my father's mother lived in the same town, so we had both sets of grandparents. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he knew that we were being looked after really well. Yeah, yeah. So my father went back to Bolivia, and he eventually met a single missionary lady from the States who was of Dutch descent, Mm -hmm. and her name was Frances. And she was in Bolivia running an orphanage for girls. And they met, and they formed a relationship, and they decided to go back to the States and get married And that's when my father became an American citizen and joined the Assemblies of God in America, became a missionary, he went to Bible school, and then they decided to come by Italy and pick us up.
2: Wow, so this is now several years later. This is several years later. And so he arrives, your father, who you hadn't seen for a long time. How does that go?
1: He announced to us, you know, that now Papa has a new wife, so you have a mother a new mother, and I was delighted to tell you the truth because I thought um, a lot of people that would meet us, they'd say, you know, yeah, Erika has lost her mother, and I was when I heard that, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I've been very careless, how could I lose my mother, can you imagine? Oh, wow,
2: I thought it was your fault.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, that wasn't very good terminology to use, so I was delighted because, oh, finally, At least I have a mother. Hmm. Like everybody else, I didn't want to stand out. Yeah. The day arrives, and um, here's my dad, and of course I recognized him, Papa. And there's this blonde, tall woman with him, and I'm thinking, my goodness, she looks like a movie star. She's beautiful. Hmm.
2: You know, and
1: uh, I'm thinking, yeah, she doesn't look anything like any of my family members. (laughs) 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 And... uh, so, you know, there's some quiet conversations between them and my grandparents and all these hushed tones and yada, yada. And then we hear that, yep, we're leaving Italy and we're going with our father and our new mother. My older brother actually was the one that said, what should we call her? And my dad said, just call her mother. Hmm. And we said, how do you say mother in English?
2: <laughs> oh, oh, so you didn't even know how to communicate with her?
1: No, and she didn't know one word of Italian. Mm. And she spoke a lot of broken Spanish, but uh, we were like, wow, now are totally, they would speak this language that we didn't understand. They're speaking English. And so, you know, it was quite an amazing time. So we had to say goodbye to our loving grandparents, especially my grandmother. And I, I really didn't know at that moment how yeah. sad that moment was going to be.
2: <laughs> yeah. I was going to say at this point, we're kind of transitioning from your father's story to now your story. Because this is kind of the new chapter in your life.
1: We took a boat from Genova to Buenos Aires, and it took about two weeks. And uh, that was our introduction to our new stepmother. We had a third-class cabin, I remember.
2: And how old are you about at this time?
1: Um, I think I'm about nine. Okay. And uh, the thing was, a a lot of problems began with the food. Because we were Italian, we were used to Italian cuisine mm-hmm. and really very nice food, you know, lots of yes. fresh things, fresh things. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we were looking at this thing, and I'm saying, "What is it?" It's, you know, it was a hamburger. <laughs> 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 I'm looking at that minced meat, and I'm thinking, "Oh, that looks horrible. <laughs> oh, now this, I can't." <laughs> anyway, so we get to Argentina, and then we make our way to Bolivia, and I'm thinking this is a horrible place, very dusty roads, but um, inside our family, you know, we had to adjust to English, and my stepmother was quite forceful in that. In this house, we all speak English. If you don't speak English, you don't eat. Oh, wow. So that was quite a motivation to yeah. <laughs> quickly learn English. Yeah. So now we became a missionary family in La Paz, Bolivia. And uh, my parents were very busy with their Bible school and planting churches and visiting churches and conferences, conferences, conferences. Uh, Very involved in in all kinds of ministry. But I began to realize that something that I had never felt before started creeping into my heart, and that was fear. Hmm. I began to fear my stepmother and she was a strict disciplinarian, very strict, and for small, insignificant things that we never could understand why it mattered so much, like even having things under your bed.
2: Hmm. If there's anything
1: under the bed, she would bring out this... Um, there was a seat belt that she used. Oh, wow. And it's amazing how painful the end of the seatbelt is.
2: Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, and, and then she would... Thank us for something like that. It was just so ridiculous. Mm. And so I began to really fear her. And so I would try to be super, super obedient, super, super good, because quite frankly, I was a coward. I didn't want that.
2: Uh, you didn't want to get beat?
1: I didn't like to be beat. Yeah, nope. yeah. And I feared her. And I also her her, um, just as lethal was her her tongue. Mm had a way of using words that were just so hurtful. Hmm. Um, I repeat it. I mean, if she said it once, she must have said it a thousand times. Things like, who could ever love you? Or, um, I hate to think what's going to come of you. You know, and and things like, um, you do this because you want to show off. And uh, it's interesting how comments like that Color your the way you think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you begin to second guess yourself all the time. Mm. Why why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Yeah. And um, it was always the feeling of you're a terrible, terrible person, and um, you need to be kept in check. You know, that's how I remember her. And as an adult looking back, I think I don't think her life was easy. You know, to come in and be the new mother of three Mm. children of a different culture, and trying to adjust to marriage, to a man of a different culture, and not in your youth, but later on in your life. You know, they were both 40, in their 40s.
2: But still, I mean, she was a missionary.
1: She was a missionary, and sometimes I can't reconcile that, but I'll tell you how I do reconcile that in a minute.
2: Today, once again, our guest is Erica Grace. Last time, she shared her father's story of being a fascist in Italy to then sharing the love of Jesus as an evangelist in South America. This time, Erica sharing her story and the challenges she faced growing up with a stepmother who was constantly putting her down. We'll find out how they eventually reconcile and heal their relationship when we return right here on Real Faith.
0: Looking for resources to grow your faith? Check out Vision Christian Store with books, movies, audio CDs, DVD resources and more. Plus, free delivery on orders over $50. See visionstore.org.au. You're listening to Real Faith.
2: Welcome back, I'm Eric Scadabo, and once again we're chatting with Erica Grace, whose parents were originally from Italy, but were forced to relocate to South America after World War II. Sadly, as we've been hearing, Erica grew up having a highly dysfunctional relationship with her stepmother, who was constantly putting her down. Unfortunately, things got even worse when two stepsisters were born into their family. Now we're going to hear more of Erica sharing her story.
1: Shortly after we arrived in Bolivia, we had a new sister. They had two daughters. And I have to tell you, to me, these two little sisters were darlings. They were like my lifesaver because I loved I loved them. I genuinely did. So they slept in my room, and I became like a surrogate mother to them. Oh, okay. Because uh, my parents were gone a lot of the time. And uh, my stepmother... <laughs> used to say that she was a missionary and she wasn't a cook and she wasn't a, a housewife, you know, she was a missionary. And so for her housework or even making sure that we're eating or there's enough food in the fridge or enough food in the house wasn't necessary, it was just not a priority. But hmm. so she wouldn't do the shopping, Wow. you know, if, if you don't go to the market. There weren't any supermarkets or anything like that, you had to go to the market. Yeah. and that took time. And she said, you know, her time was for ministry, and now for these lesser things. Yes. Yeah, so there was, we began to notice that there was a quite a lot of double standard with mm. um, the way they treated the girls and the, the way she treated us. Um, I remember in particular that in the late sixties, my father brought home a television, black and white little television. Mm-hmm. And it was such a novelty in Bolivia to have a television. Yeah, <laughs> and they he put it in all, of all places in the house. He put it in their bedroom. Oh, and of course this was a no-go zone for us. And um, I can remember, would you believe, I, I could hear "I Love Lucy" in Spanish, <laughs> and uh, I could hear my mother and the two girls sitting on her bed laughing and giggling of Lucy in Spanish. And we, both my younger brother and myself would say, can we look, you know, and we'd put our head around the door and she'd say, what are you doing here? You can't come in here. You know you can't come in here. And so we you know, there we go. So all those things, it was like, there's this family. Wow. There's this family.
2: So you and your brother were not allowed in the room. No. In their bedroom. Where they're eating chocolates and everything and watching Um, I Love And they would have
1: chocolates under the bed or stuff like that. It was funny because they could have all kinds of things under their bed. (laughs) But if we did, we would get a spanking or a a whipping.
2: Oh, my goodness. So Uh, so it's so unfair.
1: Yeah. Yes, we we did begin to see the double standard. It was quite confronting. Hmm. Like my sisters were able to choose from a catalog, JCPenney catalog, what the clothes they wanted. But I had to wear things that came in the missionary barrel, you know, which had been sent from the States two or three years ago, and it was piled high with mothballs.
2: So if I'm understanding this right, there's one set of rules for her natural daughters, and then another set of rules for the stepchildren.
1: Yeah. So the double standard was something very painful. Yeah. And uh, I remember that um, I was eventually put in an American school, in the school system, and it was my year 12, and I was called from, well, I was in a class, and they said, Erica Frigoli, you're to go to the principal's office. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm such a bad person. What have I done wrong? Oh, dear Lord, you know, I'm a bad person. I must have done something terrible. When I get in there, he's smiling broadly, and he says, Erica, it's my pleasure to tell you that you've been selected valedictorian.
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Really? Yes, you've been selected valedictorian. It's my pleasure. Can you please start writing a little speech that you'll be allowed to do at the graduation ceremony?
2: Wow, so you had been told that you were nothing and a failure. And all of a sudden you're tops in your class?
1: Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I was just, I couldn't believe it. I think I, I sort of swooned all the way to my house that day and I was amazed that my stepmother was there and I said, Mom, Mom, I've been selected valedictorian and I thought, you know, for once she's gonna say, Oh, you've done something good, you know, you've done something good. Mm -hmm. But you know what she said? She said, You Oh, don't tell me lies. Oh wow. And I said, I'm not telling you a lie. She said, Yes you are. You know exactly the punishment for lying. And You know, And I said, but it's not a lie. They called me. They said my name. I sat there. I heard the principal of a valedictorian. Mm. And she said, well, I'm going to find out if this is true. And she rang on the phone in the next room. And she said, yes, this is Frances Frigoli. My daughter's just come home with this cockamamie idea that she's been selected valedictorian. Oh, oh, she has. (laughs) And she said, oh, and she hung up and went away. And I kept I kept thinking, and I was sitting in the kitchen listening to this and thinking, I don't deserve this. Mm. It, it, yeah. Really, I should I should go right back and say, please give it to somebody else because I don't deserve this.
2: Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I thought when you said you didn't deserve it, I thought you meant you didn't deserve to be treated like that, which you obviously no, didn't.
1: No, uh, I, I kept thinking that she must be right. I don't know why. Huh.
2: So you're constantly I thought that doubting
1: he was yourself. Right. I didn't have that illumination that comes mm. when you realize the truth about the whole situation.
2: Yeah. So what was the darkest point in this whole stormy relationship with your stepmother?
1: I think the the darkest time was when I had finished Bible school and I didn't know where to go and I came back to Bolivia. Mm-hmm. And I now I had, you know, my my papers, and I could be a teacher in the Bible school. And my stepmother's there, and she says, "Well, you've been to Bible school and everything. What are you doing here?" Mm. And I said, "Well, I've, I didn't know where else to go. I've come back here, and I'm going to teach in the Bible school. I'm, I'm going to be a missionary." And she said, "Why didn't you just get married over there while you were there?" And I said, "Well, it didn't happen." Mm. And she said, "Oh my goodness, you can't be here." you're going to be eating the food of your brothers and sisters and I don't have enough. And and, uh, By the way, the Bible school is not going to be in session for another eight months because they're building a new building and so you're going to have to find a job. And starting tomorrow morning, I want you out there looking for work. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I just finished four years of Bible school. I was exhausted Mm. because I had to work in two jobs to support myself. And so she would send me out and if. La Paz, Bolivia, is a very difficult place to live in because it's very high altitude. It's twice the the height of Mount Kosciuszko, And so she would give me enough money to go to the city and then come back. That was all the money I had. So I would go there and then then I'd be, you know, days without eating properly. Wow. And uh, looking for a job. Now, looking for a job in a third world country is not the easiest thing. This mm. is why they're a third world country. There's not enough jobs. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to be a missionary. <laughs> anyway, one of those days, I think the lowest point was where after weeks of not being able to eat good food or rest, I was really, not really thinking very clearly. And I'm exhausted, but I'm also famished. But beyond famished, I'm, I'm just feeling weak. And I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. And I just happened to step off the curb and people started screaming and yelling and somebody grabbed me by my collar and pulled me back and this truck passed and just missed me by a nanosecond. Oh, wow. And uh, the people around me were all shaken. But I don't remember feeling shaken. I remember thinking at that moment, what a brilliant idea. Mm. Why didn't I think of this before? See, this could end all this misery, all this rejection. Mm-hmm. I'm not wanted anywhere. Nobody really cares. It would be so easy. This is the answer. And so I stood there in the corner and I thought, I'm just going to have to make sure that I pick a really big truck. Oh, wow. Let's see. And I started thinking very, very clearly, thinking, okay, that truck, now the wheels are really small. I'll wait for another one. And they were. it was kind of a busy street, and all these trucks were coming very quickly.
2: So the devil really had...
1: Oh, this is the best solution. Mm. And um, all of a sudden, it was as if I felt this loud voice inside my mind said, Erica, what if you don't die? Mm. What if the truck comes and just, you know, you're just left horribly mangled or even Mm. paralyzed? Who will love you then? Mm. And, you know, that... That thought froze me, and I thought, my goodness, if I was in a wheelchair, my parents would just never, ever bother to see me again. I I don't know where I'd end up. I'd end up, it would be a more horrible life. And so at that moment, I turned around and I said, I need to think about this a bit more. Hmm. But you know, the next day, things began to change. (laughs) I actually got a job translating. I saw this long line hmm. of young girls. And I said, what are you standing in line for? And they said, oh, they need a translator, English, Spanish. And I said, I'm totally bilingual. Huh. And you had to know how to use the typewriter. So I said, I'm going to stand in this line. And so all of a sudden, Mom was happy because I came home and I said, I found a job.
2: So that was the beginning of things turning around. But what really helped you get through those dark days?
1: Well... But the really darkest places, I always remembered, I always had this wonderful thought, this wonderful memory, and it's, thank God, I thank God every day for this wonderful memory I have of my mother. I remember my mother, uh, I remember hearing her pray one day.
2: Your natural mother?
1: My natural mother, when I was a little girl, I was skipping rope, and I heard her praying, but... I had heard her pray before, but this time she was in pain. It was as if she was in pain. She was sobbing. And I remember thinking, oh, is somebody hurting her? So I quickly ran into her room, and this is the memory that I have with my eyes. I saw her. She was kneeling by her bed, and she had her arms up, and she was just petitioning God, saying, God, please take care of my kids. And she named my oldest brother. And then Mm -hmm. she named me. She said, take care of Erica. Don't ever let her leave your ways. And then she named my younger brother. And I don't know whether she had that premonition or what, that just a few days later she was going to die in this car accident. But I remember this vivid memory. And every time, my darkest point, I would know what to do. I'd just go kneel by my bed. And just pray. And I thank God today, after all these years, that God has answered that prayer. Mm. The Lord was always with me. He would meet me every time I would bawl out my eyes. He would meet me. And that's Mm. why I was able to one day reach out to her and say, this is how I felt growing up. This is what you said, and this is what you did, and this is how I felt. I said, so I want you to know that I forgive you. And um, she wrote back and she, she uh, actually apologized. She brought mm. me this lovely card. I still have it. it. says, can you ever forgive me? And I thought, yes, I do. I forgive her. She's been an instrument in, in my life to teach me. And I know how to teach <laughs> mm. <laughs> on parenting and motherhood and yeah. fatherhood. And
2: well, you definitely know what not to do what not to do and then your relationship with your father who just passed away recently
1: both he and my mother apologized i still have both of their letters my father also said that he had missed being close to me and could i ever forgive him you know he called himself this old fool Hmm. and i said yes of course and so they've come to australia they visit us here and then we've gone to the States and had a wonderful family reunion for their 50th wedding anniversary. Just a few years ago, we're able to meet with all you know, have everybody together. Yeah. We're a missionary family, so we have got brothers and sisters all over the place. But yeah. We are close and wonderful technology these days that allows us to be on Facebook and see each other regularly. And-
2: yeah. So it's just wonderful to hear that, despite the terribleness of uh, your childhood and everything, you were told that you were no good, etc. But finally, there was an apology, there was a reconciliation. Yes. Well, thanks for joining us for part three in our series with Erica Grace. She's been sharing her story and before that her father's story. And I'm so happy to say that it doesn't end here. As we heard, one of the scars in Erica's life after being continuously put down in her childhood is that she would constantly question herself and lacked confidence. Well, I'm happy to say that God knew exactly what she needed in the form of someone to love her and constantly encourage her. So next time we're going to hear Erica's husband's story. Chris Grace is from Sydney, Australia. Australia, and we'll find out how in the world he ended up in South America and then how he met Erica. All that's coming up next time right here on Real Faith.
0: You've been listening to Real Faith, and if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au.